How do we know anything about heaven? The reason why we know anything about heaven is because Jesus Christ, so think of this, this historic person named Jesus from a town called Nazareth in a region called Galilee in northern Israel 2,000 years ago, for the first time ever on earth started talking about heaven. Nobody else had talked about heaven. Nobody understood. It was a concept beyond people's imagination. A place of perpetual happiness, a place of perfection that would never end, a place where there would never even be boredom from the happiness that had never been heard before. We take it for granted in our own day and age that, well, everyone's heard about heaven. Heaven's been around since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of of Eden, and they thought about heaven and they shared it with their kids. Nope. Jesus is the one who introduces heaven to us. The Jews... In their, in their Bible, the Old Testament, heaven's never mentioned. There's Sheol, the place of the dead. So that's where Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and all the rest, who were righteous and died, went to the abode of the dead. So we remember when King Saul has a, 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 a necromancer, a witch, conjure up, uh, conjure up, who was it, the... Um, uh, the, the prophet, uh, I forget his name, but anyway, this prophet, and he's from the abode of the dead, and he says, how dare you waken me from the abode of the dead? It was actually one of the laws in the, New, in the Old Testament was that you could not speak to the dead because that was risking communication with fallen angels masquerading as people that were your loved ones or other people. But there wasn't a concept of heaven, that people are in heaven, not even like the angels of heaven sort of thing. There's this idea that there are some angels who lived with God, but they didn't understand that that was a place of this perpetual happiness that was open to people. When it becomes open to people is when Jesus dies on Calvary. He dies on Calvary, he descends into Sheol, he releases the righteous in Sheol who have been waiting since Adam and Eve to go off now to heaven. And then he descends even further down into the abode of hell and establishes dominion over Satan, the fallen angels, and the people of hell, that he's even Lord of hell, Lord of heaven, Lord of the abode of the dead, and Lord of hell. So this is how we know about heaven, is because Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ and the Messiah and God in the flesh, taught us about heaven. And so if you believe in heaven today, if a non-Christian, a Muslim, or anyone else in the world today believes in heaven, you can thank Jesus Christ for that belief. Whether we get there or not is entirely up to us. It's not a given. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. It's not a given. But that he, the word of God, is the creator of heaven. And he is the one who ultimately determines who will be in there and who won't. Which gets us to this next point. Hell. How do we have any concept of hell? Well, because of this man named Jesus from the town of Nazareth, from the region of Galilee in northern Israel 2,000 years ago. He started preaching and teaching on this place called hell. The Jews understood that there was Sheol, the abode of the dead, and there was some vague concept of Hades from the Greeks, this this kind of lake of fire that you'd cross the river Styx to get to, obviously a bad place, but they didn't understand it in terms of Satan and the fallen angels and a perpetual life of torture for eternity. So if the Muslims believe in hell, they have Jesus Christ to thank for it. 
If anyone believes in it, you have Jesus Christ to thank for it. But here's this thing. A lot of people believe in heaven, or at least that when I die I won't suffer, or you won't suffer. All suffering on earth ends after death. Because we all have kind of this Goldilocks vision of, of, I don't know, we all just go to heaven kind of thing. If we believe in heaven, though, it's based on the authority of that one man, Jesus Christ. He's the one who revealed it. In the four Gospels, he speaks very clearly about heaven. And in the four Gospels, he speaks very clearly about hell. And he speaks about hell as frequently as he does heaven. I know that might be a shocker because we, generally speaking, think of Jesus as this this kind of, you know, pot-smoking hippie who just is at peace with whatever you do is okay, man. Which is not who he is at all. He speaks clearly about heaven. There is this abode, and I want you to live there forever with me, and I'm going to make it possible Because I'm going to suffer so much on Calvary that it's going to give you some idea of how horrible hell is. That I, God, would have to suffer this much to keep you out of it. Because what's down there is beyond your imagination in perpetual pain for eternity. So if we believe in heaven and that people are there, then we believe it because of what Jesus has taught. And if we believe that, then we must also believe in what Jesus taught about hell. That it exists and there are people there and there are people who go there. We can't have one without the other unless we're going to be a hypocrite, unless we're just going to be dishonest people with ourselves and with others. And Jesus is not a liar. He's not a liar. So when he talks about hell, he talks about that wide, broad road that leads to perdition and almost everyone follows it. We better take him seriously. Because he's a truth teller. He's God. He can't lie. When he talks about getting to heaven on that narrow, difficult road that leads up to heaven, we better believe that it is a narrow, difficult road. And as Jesus says, few choose it. So choose it. So choose it. Today in our gospel, Jesus introduces heaven by saying, a guy walks out in the field, he finds a treasure, discovers it. He reburies the treasure, is what he says. He hides it again. He sells everything he's got to buy that field. I mean, he sold his wife and kids everything to get that field because he won the billion-dollar lottery. Or the, the, the pearl merchant who finds the pearl of great price, which until the Japanese came along in the early part of the 20th century, the Japanese figured out how to get pearls from oysters and then this process of shaving and polishing them to make them perfectly round. Prior to that, a pearl in a natural state, you open up an oyster and find a pearl, they're never perfectly round. They've got different shapes, kind of thing. But there are the one in a million or the one in a billion oysters that just by pure random chance would be perfectly round. And this is the pearl of great price. The, as in the one and only. And if you're an oyster diver and a pearl harvester 2,000 years ago, you know that if you find that pearl, you can buy a kingdom with it. It's, it would be the greatest jewel in all of earth to find the pearl of great price. Of course, the analogy to the pearl of great price and the treasure found in the, in the field is the kingdom of heaven. Imagine a place in which we could go 
where we would never leave and we would be in perfection in perfect happiness in mind-boggling happiness for eternity. And then a billion years after we arrived, we're, we're even happier than the day we arrived. And a trillion, zillion years later, we're even happier still. The happiness just increases and grows. And we know we'll never leave, which is part of this great peace that on earth, on earth we always know it's coming to an end. That whatever treasure we have is coming to an end. Whatever relationship we have, it's all, we're going to die and it'll come to an end. And that knowledge robs us of some of our peace and happiness. And if we got into heaven and we knew that a zillion years from now I have to leave, then that would bother us, wouldn't it? It'd be this little thing in the back of our mind that this isn't per- permanent. And that thought alone would rob us of perfect, perfect happiness. And so there's a permanency to those who make it to heaven. And that permanency is part of why it's so wonderful. And the opposite is true, or the same is true, of hell. That there's a permanency to the suffering in hell. That a billion years after you arrived, you're suffering more than on the day you arrived. And a zillion years later in hell, you're suffering even more than you were a billion years ago. And it will never stop. We're talking about a despair that no human being in flesh could handle. You would have to be out of flesh in order to stay alive, to be tortured like that forever. And that would be a horrible way to spend eternity. And so Jesus is revealing to us today, he's saying, listen, listen, I came to earth to keep you out of that place and to get you to this one. But to get to this one, you have to be willing to let go of everything you possess. You have to do what this man did in buying the field and foregoing all other property that he had to obtain it. Jesus is saying, you have to be my follower. You have to be my disciple. And by analogy, there are times in which that's going to be really hard and really challenging. But Jesus is saying, I promise you, I promise you from the lips of God Almighty that it will be worth it. That you will make it, I will get you into heaven if you will love me and serve me in this life. I will see to it that you are happy beyond your wildest dreams in perpetuity for eternity. If in these few years on earth, you will love me and serve me. What a beautiful, what a beautiful deal. What an incredible deal. There's that lottery out there. I know I heard the radio or somewhere. I was out in a grocery at the convenience store and I heard on the radio or the TV or something, the billion dollar plus lottery. Imagine winning a lottery every day. Honestly, it'd get old really fast. You wouldn't know what to do with the money. You know, you would float Central America for years. I don't know what you do with the money. It's so much money. But would you be happier? People who've won the lottery have said they wish they never did. You had relatives you don't know who suddenly appear on your doorstep wondering if you can, you know, get them out of debt or pay for their college or whatever. And then when you don't, you're a bad guy. Everywhere you go, everyone expects you to pay. And maybe you've got the money to do it, but it does get tiring that you have to do it all the time. And, 
And, and then what do you do? You live in a great big mansion and you stare at the walls and where is everybody? Am I any happier? The suicide rate for millionaires is higher than people in the middle class, just so you know. There's nothing on earth, nothing on earth that's going to last except our faith in Jesus. And by faith, I don't just mean belief, the fallen angels do. I mean faith that leads to serving Him, leads to paradise forever. What a beautiful piece of good news that is. And so when you think about the commandments of Jesus Christ, don't think of them as binding you or taking away your happiness. Think of them as, this is the fuel in the engines that get me to heaven. This is the wings on the plane that get me off the ground. These things that the Lord asks of me are beautiful, beautiful things, both in this life and in the next life. And then thank Jesus. Thank Him for creating heaven for you and me. Thank you for His death that opened it for you and me. And thank Him for teaching us about hell, that we would know to strive to avoid it, and to, yes, even be frightened of it, because that's a great motivator to get us home to heaven.